0: Are you a follower of Jesus Christ who's done being quiet? Are you ready to tell the world whose you are, totally, fearlessly, and unapologetically? And are you ready to smash that imaginary wall that supposedly divides your career and faith life? Welcome to the C-Suite for Christ podcast, where we talk about living as a disciple of Christ in the world of work. Before we get to the content we have in store for you today, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Imagine a financial institution with competitive rates and low fees so you can support churches, ministries, and causes that are close to your heart. A place where your faith and finances can grow together as you seek to serve God and support yourself and your loved ones. It's called Christian Community Credit Union. Here, you're joining a family who shares your Christian values. Here, you can serve God and support yourself and your loved ones. Here, you can get the right financial solutions to help you live and give more abundantly. But can't you just find financial services somewhere else? Well, sure. But what other bank can be your faith-based partner who genuinely cares about a mission bigger than all of us? What other bank seeks to honor God with every single transaction? What other bank can guarantee your money goes directly to kingdom purposes? Christian Community Credit Union is a Christian faith-based not-for-profit credit union driven by the purpose of serving Christ's followers to live and give more abundantly. To learn more about this world-class financial organization, please visit www.mycccu.com slash c-suite. Again, that's www.mycccu.com slash c-suite. I once asked a business owner who was about to sell his $400 million company that 20 years earlier was a $15 million company how much he attributed his company's success to being in a CEO roundtable. His answer was, I attribute my company's growth to initiatives undertaken which were all brought to the CEO roundtable group. That's what having a group of like-minded Christian executives can do for you. That's what being a member of a Nehemiah group can do for you. To learn more about how Nehemiah Groups can help you grow your company and change your life, please visit FuelingSales.com and click on the Nehemiah Group tab. Thank you.
1: Atheist college professor. Sorry, that's redundant. A college professor. He asks his class, Can you touch God? And they all look around each other. and said, No, you can't touch God. And he says, Well, can you see God? Can they look around? No, no, you, you can't see God. And he says, Then you must conclude that there is no God. A student in the back of the class raises his hand. He said, Sir, can you touch or see your brain? And sir, you must conclude that you have no brain. <laughs> I uh, I do believe we have a lot of politicians running around without a brain right now, but the joke's on us because we put them in office. That's if they count your vote. But anyway, <laughs> what? <laughs> so. Uh, Good evening, by the way. It is great to be here. It's great to be here tonight, the third annual uh, C-Suite for Christ celebration. Many thanks for Paul for bringing me in. I, I, I don't know if I can match his energy, but I'll do my best. I, I wish he would have followed me instead, but you're stuck with me now. Um, you know, before I begin, could I have all the veterans who've served in any of our armed forces and police officers, please stand up and be recognized. Do we have anybody here that served? Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for your sacrifice and the freedom that you have bestowed upon America because we need you now more than ever. Trust me. I should have sat down, but I'm standing up for my hero, my kid brother, Lieutenant Colonel Scott Sorbo, 23 years in the Army. So it is wonderful to see so many faces here today. It's not that I'm anti-mask. I am. But I'm pro-face. That's what I am. I'm pro-face. Fear, fear is an amazing weapon, and right now governments at every level are using it to control our lives. We need to stop letting fear control our lives. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. And every single day, we need love, we need power, and a sound mind, because when fear comes, it removes those things. The opposite of power is weakness. The opposite of love is not hate, it's selfishness. And the opposite of a sound mind is a brain full of irrational thoughts. Common sense has gone out the window. So that's my sermon for today. Thank you. God bless. Drive safely. No. So Wisconsin was my neighbor for the first 22 years of my life. I grew up just west of you. I don't know which direction is in here, but I'll just point that way for the heck of it. And um, I grew up in a little town called Mound, Minnesota. And western shores of Lake Minnetonka, my little town of 7,000 people, we were home to Tonka Toys. I know. It's a good trivia question. It's like every time, when I lived in LA for years, I would would say, where do you think the name Lakers came from for the basketball team? There are no lakes in Los Angeles. And it's just, you get them every time, these fans. But I got to admit, I loved growing up. And then northern states up here. But I like it a lot more in the summertime, guys. I got so tired of winters. I got the heck out of here. And I did I did promise my brother Tom, who's here today, he actually moved out here after college. He was a wrestling coach and a teacher at St. John's Military Academy in Delfield. And, yeah, give him an applause. And, and his son, Craig, is born and raised here. Um, and But I promised him they wouldn't bring up the Vikings' recent win over the Packers or the The Golden Gophers beating up on your Wisconsin Badgers. I said I won't, so I won't talk about that at all today. Um, I've been asked to speak on what my faith means to be, uh, for me, as an actor in the wonderful, wonderful world of Hollywood. They absolutely love me there. Um, I think it's interesting to people because uh, I am an actor and I'm also a Christian and conservative in an industry that really doesn't care for those people. And, w- and when I say that, I feel like I'm in an AA meeting. And I should get up here and say, hi, my name is Kevin and I'm a Christian conservative. But but think about this. It's not that Hollywood elites and their minions do not have faith. Trust me, they do have a faith in Hollywood. It's just a different kind of faith. And when someone does not believe in Jesus, because... They are choosing to believe in something contrary to Jesus. They would rather believe in the lie than in the truth. And they take their faith very, very seriously. And it's no joke. They do. Their faith is at odds at ours. And that odds means that they are against what we believe in. So tonight I'm going to talk about that fight. And the fight that I've been in for a long time with. And my goal tonight is not to wake up the sheep here. My goal is to wake up the lion's. And we need to wake up. And I know we have lines out there. And as Paul said, we cannot let fear control us. Because I'll tell you, <laughs> I've gone through a lot. I'm going to get into it right and very soon. Look, the, the greatest trick that the devil ever played was to convince the world that he doesn't exist. The greatest trick the atheists have played was to convince us that they don't believe in God. Oh, they do believe in God. They just believe that they are God. in Hollywood, it is all over the place there. And they are a jealous God, which is why they said that you aren't allowed to go to church anymore. Planned Parenthood is essential. The stripper club and the liquor stores are essential, but churches are not essential. And please don't sing. If you sing, you're going to spread COVID even more. Look what they're doing. This is what they're doing to us. They've closed down all these other stores that, okay, your little mom and pop grocery store, you're not essential. I know you sell groceries and stuff, but Target and Costco, they're essential. They got groceries and stuff too, but okay, never mind. It's crazy. It's crazy what we're doing right now. And think, by the way, if you think you got a um, conforming progressive Hollywood type to speak to you tonight, uh, no, I'm, I'm, that's a disappoint you. but I'm not that politically correct. And if you do follow me on Twitter, thank you. Please follow me on Twitter. Go to at KSorbs, at KSorbs. I post one, two-sentence, little things. Here's an example. I said, the best way to get rid of COVID is say that the Clintons have that it has something on the Clintons. It will disappear. It's true. And if you follow me on Facebook and wonder where I went five months ago, they took me down. I had close to two million followers. They took me down because they posted the truth. Zuckerberg, that little wuss, he's afraid. He's afraid of the truth. The truth is intolerant of a lie. And many would rather hide, run, keep their heads in the sand, not look around. They would rather just not be any confrontational won't hear here it. it's, it's like, la, 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 la. And I do honestly believe that's why they call Los Angeles, la, la land. I think that's pretty much where it came from. Now, I was raised in a small little town, like I told you. Good Lutheran kid, St. John's Lutheran Church here in Mount Minnesota. You know, church, church school, the whole thing, prayers at mealtimes. And being a strong Christian, and thanks to my parents, I had amazing parents, I had a moral foundation that stood me well, even though it was tested. And it was tested many times. Now, as a child, I used to listen to our pastor warn us of God's wrath, of his hellfire and brimstone. I think he thought breathing was a sin. Um, pastor Sanders was one tough cookie. Not very interesting to listen to. But just before his sermons, I always noticed that in the miniature little pastor's pew in the corner next to the pulpit, he would put his head up against the wall and sometimes close his eyes, sometimes just look up. And I always looked at him. I was like eight years old, and I stared. I wonder what he's doing. So finally, I got to be this little the candlelight boy. And that was a cool thing because I got to wear the little miniature pastor robe. You get to walk down, light all the candles, and you get to sit in a mini pew next to the pastor. I look out the congregation, suckers, I'm up here. In the past, a song before the sermon, and I watched him. I was looking up at him, and I whispered to him, I go, Pastor, I see you do that a lot. Why do you do that? And he looks down at me and says, well, Kevin, I'm praying to God that he helps me give a good sermon. And I looked at him and I said, well, then why doesn't he help you? <laughs> I got in trouble a little bit. He told my parents later. But he did laugh. He did laugh. So many, many years ago, I heard a voice inside my head. And it said, don't let him crack your neck. Within minutes of hearing that voice, I had a tremendous health crisis, and I wrote a book about it, it's called True Strength, my journey from Hercules to mere mortal, and how nearly dying saved my life. And I wrote True Strength as a way to share my struggles and provide hope to anyone suffering from a catastrophic illness, or injury, or any challenging setback, really. Because we're all hit roadblocks in life, we've all hit roadblocks, everybody's got a story. It was during my fifth year of playing the half-god Hercules, on the most watched TV show in the world, by the way, just, you know, Invincible Complex, but I developed at the end of season five there, slowly. And over time, this tingling sensation in these three fingers, numb, bugging me. It worked its way up my arm, and it was just killing me. I just I couldn't quite figure out what was going on with it. But I was busy, so I ignored that soft, questioning voice telling me to pay attention. Season five ended. I held, head back to um, Los Angeles to start my first big publicity campaign. on My first big-budget movie It's called Cull the Conqueror. Now, Cull, if you don't know it, is, they, is in the books, in the comic books, he's the father of, of Conan. Arnold Schwarzenegger played Conan. He's older than me, but apparently I'm his father because Cull was the father of Conan. So I'm doing this 10-city press tour. I'm all over the country. I'm doing Letterman. I'm doing Leno. I'm doing all these things. I've I'm, I'm just got so much stuff going on. I was about to do another movie right after the, that uh, the movie came out in Atlanta, then go back to New Zealand to start season six on Hercules. I was way too busy to be sick, so I just kind of blew it off. So I, I, finished, I finished Leno. I go to New York. I do Letterman. A couple more shows. I go up to Boston to do more, more press, radio, TV. The arm feels like it's on fire. I tell the studio guys, say, guys I don't know what's going on with me. It's just something's going on here. They sent a doctor to my hotel room there in Boston to check me out. His name was Dr. Dye. Yeah, it's D-Y-E, but still. Dude, take your mother's maiden name. But he but he said, it's something cardiovascular. I really do believe it. You need to get checked out when you get back to L.A. So I get back to L.A. I'm working out at Gold's Gym. I used living right on the Venice border there in Santa Monica. Gold's Gym was like a second home to me. I went to pick up a couple dumbbells. Unbelievable. I just dropped the dumbbell. That was it. I finally went to see my doctor. So I go to my doctor. Um, he's checking things out. And he gets a very serious look in his face. And he says, you know, I, got, I found a lump way up here, Kevin. It was right up here in the left subclavicle. And he says... We need to do a biopsy on this. I went biopsy. said, Doc, I'm Hercules. for kind of love. Come on. But I was rattled and still convinced that I was going to be fine. Before he scheduled a biopsy, I went to see my chiropractor. So as I lay on my back, he's working on my neck. I heard a voice inside my head saying, don't let him crack your neck. Now, that's weird, okay, because in eight years of seeing him, he's never cracked my neck because I don't like my neck cracked. Crack it into my body, leave my neck alone. He knows that. The voice gets louder, more urgent. Don't let him crack your neck, over and over again. While I'm arguing with the voice inside my head, my chiropractor unwittingly did the thing that ultimately broke me. He cracked my neck. I suffered three strokes. That lump in my shoulder was actually an aneurysm that for months had been spitting out blood clots one at a time, suffocating the flow into my hand, these three fingers, and working its way up my body and just causing so much, so much pain in there. And that twist of the neck... Of course, those three clots into my brain up in the three strokes caused me three years of hell. Dizziness, nausea, heart palpitations, loss of sight. I still have a 10% loss in both eyes, but I was at 50% at one time. Um, speech, panic, anxiety attacks. Those are fun because I suffered from those as well. Migraines. And I had this constant buzzing sound in the back of my head, this 24 hours a day for two years before the third year it started slowly dissipating and going away. So to put it bluntly, I suffered. Because here I was sitting on top of the world, huge TV show, everything that goes with it. I did tell you that Hercules was the most watched show in the world, right? Okay, never mind. I know it's the sin of pride, but how many actors in their life can say that? How many people can say that? So here I'm at my mid-30s. I'm in better shape than most guys who are in their 20s. I'm working out two hours every day on top of my 12 to 14 hours a day on the set on Hercules. I was doing my own stunts because my ego said that I could, and I loved it, and I enjoyed it. I thought I was pretty cool, but when those strokes hit me, Boom my world would never be the same. As my fiance rushed me into the hospital in Los Angeles, I'm leaning on her and she's dragging me in. Actually, when the happened, strokes happened, it was the same day that Princess Di died. So we got that in common. But I remember looking up at this bright blue September morning sky and I said to myself, I'm gonna die today. I was amazed at how relaxed I was about it. I mean, I was bummed, of course, I also had wanted to get married, have kids, grow old. But acknowledging that I just had these strokes and I was going to die made me unbelievably calm. I don't know why. Maybe it was my faith. Maybe that. Maybe I was in shock. I don't know. But I was like, (sighs) okay. Because you see, I had faith. I've always had faith. But I never needed faith until I was hit with this huge, incredible challenge. So I prayed. I prayed a lot. It's not what we do when we hit that roadblock in life, right? We rail, we scream, we go crazy, we 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 just we we blame God, we blame family, friends, anybody. But then what happens? You know, we do eventually reach out to God for help to heal us. But it's sad that a roadblock has to have something like that has to happen in your life to make you finally want to go back to God and say, "Hey, I need help," because really He wants you with Him all the time. That's all He wants. Kind of reminds me of a joke. It's a Christmas joke, actually. It's kind of fits for it. So, it's Christmas Eve. Malls are packed. This guy's driving around trying to find any spot in the parking lot. He's going crazy. He's getting so angry and he reaches God, find me a parking spot, please. I, I will go to church every Sunday the rest of my life if you just find me one bloody parking spot. Boom, all of a sudden a spot opens up. He says, Hey, don't worry, God. I just found one myself. Right? Come on. Those three tiny little blood clots changed my life. And it seems like a miracle to survive what I went through. But sometimes life is just like that. I think miracles happen every day. We just got to pay attention to them. It's not always going to be walking on water. There's so many wonderful little things out there that happen. The miracle really was that I met my future wife just a year before my strokes. Because whenever I got down on myself, whenever I started feeling sorry for myself, She's a Pittsburgh slash New Yorker. Tough love, I'm telling you right now. And she said, Kevin, it happened. What are you going to do about it? And she gave me a good mantra that I passed on earlier today. She said, I want you to look in the mirror every day and say, I'm getting better, I'm getting stronger, and say it a thousand times until you believe it for that day. Because it was a long road. It took me four months to learn how to stand up and walk and balance again. I was very fortunate. Very fortunate. Because I really don't know how would I would have survived without my wife. I don't know how I would have survived without her constant nagging. You know, her incessant contradictions of my own self-pity and her just overwhelmingly annoying positive attitude. It drove me crazy. Because she saw recovery in me when I couldn't. She had faith in a loving creator when mine faltered. And her uplifting voice eclipsed the negative negatives, negative ones in my head, cheering me on with every little, just small, small improvement. She believed me My ability to overcome. More importantly, she believed in the strength I would derive from my successful recovery. She is responsible for me writing the book. I don't want to write the book. It's the male ego thing, right? For number one, I'm playing Hercules. You're big, you're strong, all this stuff. I'm going, I don't want to let people know how weak I was. And she said, Trust me, this is important for people. And I wrote the book, came out about nine years ago now. And it's been amazing to me to see the response from people on the book. How it's how it's made them stop feeling sorry for themselves and pushing and pushing and pushing she of course she wrote a few chapters she says they're the best chapters and they, they are you know but what is that old saying you know God laughs as we make plans and when we got married our plan was to have kids right away so there's truth in that saying because as young newlyweds we discovered that my disabilities were more than just what was going on in my head and my brain and believe me that was bad enough but my wife and I failed initially to conceive for children Another long battle, another book came out because of that. Just recently, my wife and I just sat down to write the follow-up to True Strength, and this one's called True Faith, Embracing Adversity to Live in God's Light. And true faith, my wife and I go into using faith almost as an invited guest, an invisible helper through hardship and heartbreak. We tell a story of our struggles, both for children and for our marriage, because nothing strains the marriage quite as much as when you can't have kids, and that was really the ultimate goal that we both wanted so badly. Later in the book, I talk candidly about my transition from Hollywood action star and my two long-running shows, Hercules and Andromeda. I was producing, directing, and, of course, starring in faith-based movies. And that's when God put me on a different path, a path that I didn't know I'd ever be on. A door closed, another one opened. And it really started with what I consider to be my first, first faith-based movie. It's called What If. Now, if you haven't seen What If, I highly recommend it. I've shot 68 movies to date. I put that in my top three. Faith-Based was directed by Dallas Jenkins. Dallas Jenkins is the son of Jerry Jenkins, who was one of the co-authors of the Left Behind series, that sold 80 million books. Hope you're aware of the Left Behind series. And Dallas right now is doing the show called The Chosen, which is unbelievable if you haven't seen that as well. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful series. and They're about to enter the third season. And I remember when Dallas sent me the script, he's a good friend, we got kids all in the same ages, and he said, I got the script, I want your thoughts on it. So I read What If, I called him up and I said, who's playing Pastor Ben? He said, well, I named this. I said, no, I'm playing as Dude, I can't afford you. The budget's so low on this thing. I said, just pay me what the union says you have to pay me for minimum, SAG minimum. He said, I have to play this role, and I'm so grateful for playing this role. The Movie Guide Awards that won Best Movie. And Movie Guide, if you don't know it, they do movies they rate every movie, but really they give awards out for movies that deal with God, deal with hope, deal with love and laughter. And so I mentioned this connection with Dallas and his dad, Jerry Jenkins, because I just wrapped filming about 36 hours ago uh, the next Left Behind movie, and I directed it, starring in it. We got a great cast. We just finished shooting two months up in Calgary. I just flew straight down from there, from here. Um, it'll be out at Easter, and I hope you guys see it. It's Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist. So the rapture has happened, and all that's left is Antifa, guys like that (laughs) so it's a whole new world out there but but because of the the um the books and the faith-based movies i've been doing now i get invited to speak all over the country which has been amazing the last 10 years of my life because like i said this is a path i never thought i'd be on i do a lot of pro-life speaking events and that's a big topic right now obviously with our supreme court a lot of youth for christ christian schools universities because people are curious how do you manage to work in a place like hollywood As a Christian, people find that interesting. But not being afraid to speak up about the truth, it comes with a price. And as I became more and more vocal, not only on Facebook, Twitter, and other places, I just became more vocal. I started challenging people on the set when I heard the the things they said. Because prior to that, when people bashed God, about that, I just sat around and kind of looked at them and went, I don't do that anymore. I do what this guy down here tells us to do. I go out in the face, not in an angry way. I said, let's talk about it. Why are you saying that? That's what we need to do. But at Hollywood, my manager, longtime manager, longtime agent, called me in. It was like an intervention. They said, we can't work with you anymore. It's about 11 years ago now. And they said, uh, no studio wants to work with you. I said, why? I said, well, because, you know, just stuff you say on Facebook and Twitter. I mean, you might just talk about God or I talk about conservative values. I said, that's a horrible thing. They kicked me out. Thank God for independent movies, because if I didn't have independent movies, I would not have a career right now. So I'm, I'm grateful that at least it's still around, but I don't care. So this is what I want to do. This is my way to harvest. This is my way to spread the word out in some way in the medium of, of movies and television shows. And That's what I'm doing. It's interesting, I just did a major motion picture last year. I'm surprised I got invited to be in it, but I did the Reagan movie. Dennis Quaid plays Reagan, I play his pastor, and it'll be out next year. So I hope you guys look out when that comes out. They finally did a movie on one of the best presidents we've ever had in this country. It's true. Yeah, Ronald. Why not? But, you know, it's interesting. The industry that screams for tolerance and freedom of speech, it's a one-way street with those guys. The hypocrisy, they're the gift that keeps giving for me because the hypocrisy just keeps bleeding through constantly. And something I've even more realized, politics is less polarizing in Hollywood than religion. Saying you believe in God, saying you believe in Jesus, they just attack you for that. It's crazy what we're doing. When I shot Soul Surfer, there's a scene in there where Dennis Quaid, who plays Bethany's father in the movie... He's reading the Bible, too. You can see it's the Bible. Look at that scene again. Sony Studios blurs out Holy Bible. They blurred it out. That's incredible to me. And I'm, I'm a bit of a smartass. Um, the Sony execs were there. My wife was there. I said, let's go talk to those guys. And she knows me. She goes, Kevin, what are you going to do? I said, just come with me. This is where my acting's really good. So I walk, because we got a memo. We're cutting out all the Jesus Christ references. We're just not going to say that anymore. So I walk up and I say, okay, I got your memo. Um, So in the script, when we bring up Jesus Christ, uh, you you don't want us to do that anymore, right? Because, you know, it represents hope and love and all those wonderful things. They said, yeah, we don't want that. I said, well, if I use it as a swear word, is that okay? They go, that's fine. This is what we're fighting, guys. True story. This is what we're fighting. It's amazing to me. But this is why it's important to keep fighting the because Hollywood drives the culture. And politicians perform a script written by that culture. Andrew Breitbart, who started Blaze, was a dear friend of mine. And he said, politics is downstream of culture. And it is. Who runs the culture? Hollywood, mainstream media. You see the stuff they're putting out on TV. You guys watch it? You see it? Speaking of politics, America's government was formed around Judeo-Christian values, right? by a group of Christian men that put together the Constitution. There weren't other values or morals for men. These men founded an amazing, incredible nation pledging their very lives to defend life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And our laws come from the Bible. But there's been a change in our country the last 200 years. The United States of America has become more divided, it's more secular, and the damage to our political system or government can be played out every day in the media. There's nothing but anger and anger and anger. Proverbs 9.10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But for those fighting for a culture of depravity in the country, it isn't God that they fear. They ignore God, they deny God, they resent God. You know what? In fact, they hate God. Trust me, I know, because I played one of them in a movie called God's Not Dead. How many people saw God's Not Dead? Good for you. Now, I'm telling you, your support made that little two million, it was two million dollars. That's that's not even catering budget on Pirates of the Caribbean, okay? Those are $300 million movies. That $2 million movie went on to make... It's, it actually is the, it's, it's top five in... It's number five in the history of Hollywood and our rate of return. $2 million movie made $140 million profit. That's 70 times return because of people like you supporting that movie. Um, oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. You know, and, and, and people have asked me how I prepared for that role. Because already a couple of people are coming to me that they hated me in that movie. So, my mom hated me, and that's the best compliment ever. That means it worked. I tell them, I go, it's pretty easy to prepare for that movie. It's in the writing, no question. But, you know, I tell them, I thought of a Christian, and then I just took away all reason and accountability. To borrow a Jack Nicholson line. And, I, you know, I, I watch these guys on TV. That They have the atheist clubs. I see them on CNN. And they just get mad they're mad about nativity scene they go it offends me well it offends me that we got to take it down where do we get a say in this it's insane that we're letting these people control our lives the way we're letting people control our lives <laughs> but it was a fun role for me to play because there is redemption for him at the end and that's why i like doing movies like that so the secret of the character was he was so well written by the way the same guys who do gods and dead wrote what if as well if i didn't mention that because they're great writers they wrote Unplanned as well, the abortion movie. If you guys saw that one. But my character has nothing but his arrogance and intellect. But even that is flawed by hatred that he powers, that he hates for an all-powerful God that he doesn't believe in. That's another thing that amazes me. You why do you, you hate him, but you don't believe in him. I hate broccoli. I don't get offended if you guys want broccoli. Knock yourself out. It's weird to me, their argument on it. But you know what What gets you? It's... When, the, when, that, when that student that I'm tormenting says to me, he says, what happened to you? And I answer with sincerity the story of how I lost my hope, how I lost my faith. When as a young kid, my mother died of cancer right in front of me. And I know I've met people like that. Why did God do this? Well, God didn't do it. But people lose their faith that way. I call it a crisis of faith. Does that sound a little familiar? Because people go through it. But the success of that movie showed me that there's a hunger for these type of movies. And I wanted to put myself out there to do more and more of these movies that have a positive thing instead of dealing with all the stuff that comes out in Hollywood. Because I know you guys scroll the channels at home and you go, ugh, you roll your eyes. Because look at the stuff they keep putting in every movie and every TV show right now. So I started doing more movies and family-friendly movies. And that, for me, turned the tide. See, Hercules is still in there for a lot of people. But the, I get compliments mostly now. I get stopped at airports and hotel lobbies and restaurants. The majority of the people now say, please make more movies like God's Not Dead and let there be light. And that's what I'm going to do. Because this is a great way to get out there through the medium of television. Because I'll tell you what, people are afraid. You guys are afraid. People. Some of you in here, you're afraid to bring your friends to church. But a good way of stepping stone is, hey, you want to go see a movie? Let them watch that movie. Baby steps to get people in there. One blessing of COVID. My church back home, one blessing of COVID was that the number of people that watched streaming went way thousands beyond what they actually have in the church. Because people they're in their homes by themselves and they're scared and they're looking for answers. I think it brought a lot of people to God. I think a lot of people started searching and trying to find out what's going on. I was with my family in the Salt Lake City airport. And um, This woman walks up to me with her little girl, beautiful little girl, seven, eight years old. And she says, "You, Kevin Sorbo." And I said, "Just for today, I am Kevin Sorbo." She smiles at me and she says, "I am. uh, I am from Iran. I moved here ten years ago. And I saw your movie, God's Not Dead. And because of it, I left being a Muslim. I am now a Christian. And she got baptized." It's amazing. It shows you the power of the medium, for good and bad. Walt Disney said in the 1950s, "Television and movies will influence our youth." We see what's being played out. I've always said, you go back, to all, you know, since Ferguson and through now with all these riots and all the anger and hatred and death and violence. I said, do you think? Those mostly under 35-year-olds that are out in the streets doing that, if they had any biblical principles in their lives, would they be out doing what they're doing in the streets? Of course they wouldn't be. How do we reach them? How do we reach them? Jesus called on us to make disciples of the nations, inviting everyone to join in the body of Christ, the church. But in America today, people of faith have been cowed to accept a politically correct lie from the depths of you know where. Christianity is under attack in our movies, TV, DVDs, mainstream media, and now our governments. Why? I'll tell you why. Because it's truth and light that the people choose to live in darkness and deceit. But my aim is to empower you as God has strengthened me. David Frost wrote one of my favorite poems, The Road Less Traveled. I'm sure many of you are familiar with The Road Less Traveled. Jesus walked the road less traveled. I am now on that road with him as well. And I'm going to turn the road less traveled into a superhighway, people. Let's turn it into a superhighway. I need your help to make that happen. 1 Peter 3, 15 says this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I'll read that again. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I have a documentary that came out last year, this year. It's a documentary I shot with John Lennox. If you don't know the name of John Lennox, he's a retired math professor from Oxford University. and He's an amazing man. I spent three weeks in Oxford with him and two weeks in Israel putting this together. I call it apologetics for dummies like me. And if you guys wanna learn how to defend your faith, check out John Lennox. He's debated Dawkins and Hitchens and Singer, all these very famous atheists around the world. And he kills them with love, kindness, humor, He sounds like Winnie the Pooh when he talks. It's awesome. So please check out Against the Tide. Go to againstthetide.movie. It's a fantastic documentary. Because stepping on faith, it's the reason you came here tonight, right? We all came here to to bolster our faith. That's why we go to church. That's why we get together. To better proclaim it to unbelievers. Your faith gives you strength to walk into the world. A few years ago, my wife developed a faith-based TV show. I'll give you one more example of what we're dealing with in Hollywood. It's called The Miracle Man. And The Miracle Man, we actually sold it. We sold it to NBC and Sony Studios. They made us go through six months of rewrites before saying, "Yeah, we decided not to do it because it's got God in it, right? But look, we did a pitch on this. Miracle Man was not touched by an angel. You never get touched by an angel on TV today, folks. This was more like punched by an angel. And it was great. But what hit me was not selling at the NBC and Sony. What hit me was another studio executive, another network, I'm not gonna name the network, you can figure there's three ones left. We did the pitch and she looks at me and she says, okay, I get that there's an audience for you and the movies you do, Kevin. I know that you have a lot of people that follow your movies and follow you know what you're doing. And I'm Jewish, but my faith is kind of over there, just sitting way over there somewhere. And I understand you've had success in this genre. I know that middle America wants this kind of thing. But you know what? I don't understand why they want this kind of thing. They have no clue. There's 80 million households out there that want this. And yet their ideology is so hatred towards religion that they won't do it. Let to Be Light is a movie that I directed. It came out about three years ago. Sean Hannity funded it. It was a very good movie. It was in theaters for about four months. It opened number two per screen average against Thor Ragnarok. A $2.3 million movie up against a $300 million movie. I get a call from Netflix. Hey, we want to meet with you. I said, cool. So I go and meet with the Netflix. All executives were there. Had a great meeting. We want to open inspirational division in Netflix. Cool. Call me back again three weeks later. I gave them a bunch of scripts. They looked read through them. Call me back again. Had three meetings with them. They still didn't make any move two months into this. And I said, in my mind, I'm going, did they just want, they made an announcement that they wanted to work with me. Inspirational and division. Did they just do that to get more people to join? Because they did nothing. And I looked at them. I said, you can laugh all the way to the bank, to the 80 million households here that want this, and say, you stupid, silly Christians. Just do it. And they still won't do it. This is where we are in the battle. I've got the roadblock that I've got to do with Hollywood. But I'm not giving up a fight, people. I'm going at it. Because I'll tell you what, we have a crisis. We do. <laughs> We have a crisis of faith in this country right now. The real crisis, people don't even know that they've lost their faith. It's one layer thing on the other. It keeps, oh it's just one more thing the government wants to do. Oh really? Oh it's just one more thing. Boom, 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 boom. Pretty soon you got a stack of things that everybody wants to do to take away your right, take away your freedoms. You know? Her faith was somewhere over there sitting on a shelf, right? But what good is faith if it sits on a shelf? If God, is God just some kind of a shopping mall that you just kind of go over there and order when it's necessary We need something? I'm going to quote the late Justice Antonin Scalia, who I had the honor of meeting about six months before he passed away. We were at the Reagan Library, and um, he spoke for a very long time. He was amazing. And Gary Sinise hosted it. We had a lot of veterans there as well that day. It was fantastic. And we got in line to get his book. And they said, please, no pictures with them. Just sign the book, sign the book. I got up there and he looked up at me and he goes, can I get a photo with you? <laughs> I whipped my camera out. I said, I'm getting a photo with you too. But he said this. He said, God assumed from the beginning that the wise of the world would view Christians as fools. And he has not been disappointed. If I brought you any message today, it is this. Have the courage to have your wisdom regarded as stupidity. Be fools for Christ and have the courage to suffer the contempt of the sophisticated world. Those are wise words from one of the greatest minds that ever served in the Supreme Court. And with his passing, I pictured St. Peter telling some poor guy at the pearly gates that he will get into heaven, but not before Scalia descends first. The question remains this. Are you willing to be fools for Christ? Are you willing to profess what today amounts as stupidity, to stand up for our morals, our beliefs? Or does your faith just sit over there on a shelf, separate and uninvolved in your daily life? Because faith requires that leap of conviction. That moment when you realize people may not want to work with you anymore. They might not want to speak to you anymore. In fact, they might just start hating you for something as ridiculous as that. You know what? They're afraid of you. It's because you have belief. And belief is a power that frightens people who don't understand it. Because it's truth that scares people who love lives. It is the light that forces the evil back into the darkness. But truth also saves. It sets the captives free. Trusting that the outcome is in God's hands. But it requires your faith and your service to him. Scalia unlocked the key to faithfulness, which I believe is the key to happiness. And he said it's conviction. It's conviction that he prescribed for all of us. It was the conviction of the film God's Not Dead that helped that young woman at the airport see the truth. That light was not hidden under a barrel. And conviction is what is required from each one of us. And it is lacking to a large degree, even within the Christian community. Because people are looking for something. They're looking for something more. We live in a culture of seekers. They may not know what they seek, but I do. I know what they seek. They seek the truth. They've been sold lie after lie after lie, and all they want to do is hear the truth. One more quick story. The young boy and his grandfather are walking along the beach. The previous night, big storm. Thousands and thousands, of starfish, were like, washed up on shore. And the little boy picks one up, throws it back in the water, picks another, throws it in the water. His grandfather says, son, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm just trying to make a difference, grandfather. He said, well, there's too many starfish to count. You can't possibly make a difference. And the little tyke bends down, throws another one, and he says, well, make making a difference in that one's life. Grandfather joins him, starts throwing in the starfish. We just experienced a very important election last year. There's 80 million people in America who confess to be Christians, and less than 50% actually voted. We get the government we deserve. Who runs the culture? Hollywood does. So what we are seeing play out right now in government is the hypocrisy, the deceit. It's a product of our culture and a product of our media. If you change the media, change the culture. You're going to change the political atmosphere. We must always be reaching out. As Paul said, faith comes from hearing the message. In the noise of the day, how can anyone hear the message if it's not for us believers? We are the ones who have to share the good news. Faith gives you conviction. Faith brings you comfort. Faith offers liberation. We have to engage and be part of the system. Don't let your life, don't let your belief sit on the shelf because every soul matters. Every starfish counts. We hope to be continued as a blessed nation of God. We must back and get back to our convictions. Hebrews eleven six, And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Will you all pray with me for a second here? Please, I'd like to send a prayer. Loving God and Father, bless all those gathered here today as we come together in friendship and fellowship. Thank you for the blessings and the gifts you have given us. Strengthen our hearts with a desire to make a difference in not only our families, but our community, our country, the world. Give us wisdom and focus in times of distraction and uncertainty in a world filled with your enemies. Help us move forward with love and forgiveness that we may be blessed with true happiness and peace in our lives. Lead us from our restless minds, our anxious thoughts, to discover your gracious power and to achieve our goals for you with determination and always with an abundant sense of humor. Fill us with your light and lift us with your promise. And for all of this, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen. Thank you. I want to thank you. God bless you. God bless America. Are you a Christian-based organization? Well, so
0: are we, and we're here to serve you. We want to help you with your mission, so please visit ParagonMarketingGroup.com to see how we can help. Need a trade show display? A lobby renovation? Heck, how about help with an event that you're hosting? Captivate Exhibits can do it all. Plus, they're an outspoken faith-based organization that puts Christ first in all that they do. Ready to captivate the attention of the masses? Then check them out today at CaptivateExhibits.com. That's CaptivateExhibits.com. Thank you for joining us on the C-Suite for Christ podcast. People everywhere are thirsting for Christ. Our goal is to cover the world in Christ using hope, encouragement, and God's nourishing words. We hope you'll join us. Please visit csuiteforchrist.com and come back soon for more conversations centered around God's endless love for us all. I saw you in my
1: dreams before I came. When I think about you, I won't forget you, life goes on and